welcome back, everybody. It's time again for another episode of Living Hope, a weekly journey designed to provide hope, inspiration, and education for those living with pancreatic cancer. Sharing the real-life stories of those really affected by this deadly disease and how they deal with it on a daily basis. With our host, she's been on the journey. She knows what the she knows what it looks like. She knows all the nooks and crannies and uh, rocks along the way. Welcome back, uh, Roberta Luna. Thank you. I appreciate that. There are a lot of um, rocks and pits and bumps and detours, and I learn something new every with every guest. So I'm very thankful for that. So thank you. Our guest today is Lisa Poff. I said it right, I hope. <laughs> Lisa, you are the chief marketing officer at the Colony Group. You enjoy cooking, running, reading, and traveling. Yeah. What is, just briefly, a chief marketing officer? What What is your job, <laughs> or what do you do? I mean, it's a great title, but what do you do? Yeah, well, I'm in charge of all of the marketing and communications uh, for, for our company. So... My job is really to provide the strategic direction, you know, for the marketing efforts for our company. It's a wealth and business management uh, company. We have, um, we have, we're in, I think, nine uh, states. We have over about 300 employees at this point, and we manage for our clients uh, greater than 15 billion in assets. Wow, that's amazing. So it's a it's a great job. It's a fun job. I get to work with a lot of really smart, very dedicated professional people and uh, and I and I love what I do. So Yeah. Well, thank you for explaining that. It's good to know what everybody does for a living and just, you know, it's nice when you love your profession. Well, thank you for explaining what you do. It's really interesting and I like to give that little perspective on, you know, we all come from different walks of life and yeah. different professions, so it's really great. I appreciate that. Thank you. And then what is your connection to pancreatic cancer? Well, I was uh, diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, locally advanced uh, pancreatic cancer, in early May of last year. So I'll be coming up to one year here on on uh, this journey um, soon. And um, uh, you know, I I started having symptoms that presented in a kind of back pain. I'm a runner, so I. I talked to my doctor about what I was experiencing, and so she told me, let's get an x-ray of your back and let's go ahead. I want you to see a GI because I was also having just issues with things didn't feel right kind of with my digestion system. You kind of know when things are not right in your body. And so I went on two tracks uh, to try to figure out what was going on. and you know like many pancreatic cancer uh, patients a lot of the symptoms present as back pain and that was uh that was my case as well because i I pursued that that path as well as you know trying to get in to see a gi and and uh and have further diagnostics going on with um you know with my what might be going on with my gi system um, can you just explain to everybody what locally advanced is for those who aren't aren't aware? Right, right. So in terms of staging, I've been told I'm stage three. Um, locally advanced uh, means that the the tumor has not spread, which is which is great. The cancer has not spread to my other organs, which is stage four. 
Locally advanced means that the tumor, unfortunately, involves the vascular system. I believe, Roberta, your tumor is similar and that it involves the vascular system. And at this point, it has been deemed inoperable. Um, but I want to touch on that, uh, you know, a little bit later if we can. Um, and so that that's that's what locally advanced means. Sure. Thank you. And yes, we do. We do share that. And I just I know a lot of people times will ask, well, what does that mean? So just thank you yeah. for explaining that. Yeah. So what led then to your diagnosis of pancreatic cancer is it started with the back pain? It did. It did. Uh, it was, and it was excruciating. I, I have um, some back issues um, that are just part of normal aging, and also that I'm I'm a runner, so it's just a little harder on your spine. So I sort of lived with back pain, but this was different. This was kind of mid back, and and again, I just thought this is maybe my spine, and I need to let up on running, and and so I went um, and had a an X-ray, um, and there wasn't anything really you know, that, that came back that was, which would show that I would have like significant back pain, but I did pursue pain management. I had cortisone shots and things like that. But again, at the same time, I was making appointments for my GI um, and be, being a healthy woman, I, I see my um, gastroenterologist for a colonoscopy, right? for you know once so it's not somebody that's in my kind of regular rolodex of doctors i would normally mm-hmm. see so it took a while actually to get an appointment we're talking i think i made the call in late february of 2021 and we're still we didn't have vaccines doctors offices are still not seeing patients on a regular or normal basis so it, it took me like three or four weeks to actually even get in to see my gastroenterologist. And then they went ahead and said, okay, we want you to, um, they asked me to get an ultrasound and then they scheduled me for uh, colonoscopy and the terminology where they go down your throat. The, the EUS? Um, the EUS? Yeah. Yeah. yeah just kind of ex- to, just to, to look, right. Did it take them a long time to come back with the diagnosis or were they able to get it fairly quickly? You know, it's, I, I felt like at the very beginning, it was just a lot of waiting. Um, so I had the ultrasound on a Tuesday and I went in, I thought everything was gonna be fine. I just thought, you know, maybe, I was, I was taking a lot of Advil because of my back. And I thought, well, you know, maybe I've given myself an ulcer, <laughs> which I actually did <laughs> because I was trying to control the back pain with, you know, over-the-counter pain medications. and. But so that was on a Tuesday. And I remember the the technician leaving the room because she said, I want to make sure that the radiologist doesn't need anything else. And I kind of looked up and I looked at the screen and it was a screen of nothing but my pancreas. And I had this just horrible, horrible feeling because a colleague of mine years ago, when his wife was going to medical school, he would always say, yeah, my wife would always say, and don't F with the pancreas, you know, as a medical <laughs> student, they learn that. So I learned this was not good and I got a little scared. They wouldn't give me any kind of results there. That was on a Tuesday. I didn't hear back from my gastroenterologist's office until the Friday. So I actually thought I was okay. I thought, well, there must it must be nothing until they said, yeah, we think we found something. We want you to move, we're gonna move up your on endoscopy and your colonoscopy to Monday and because you know we we want to get in right now and 
Um, and then from there, it was then I had I went to uh, Georgetown Hospital to get a, a biopsy, but it was probably 10 days at, or better, maybe two weeks later that I actually had the, the biopsy. So it, it felt like an eternity. They were pretty sure, they knew it was a tumor. It was just a matter of diagnosing whether it was cancerous or not. And then of course, after that came that, that was the very first week of May, it came back, confirmed that it was um, cancer. And when the doctor gave you the news, how did your doctor present this to you? It was the Georgetown, it wasn't a great experience. I'll be very honest with you. It was a terrible experience. It was a resident at the Georgetown Hospital that gave me the news. My gastroenterologist really wasn't involved. It was it was just not a great experience um, for me. And I was left trying to figure out what I was gonna do at that point on my own. I didn't trust my gastroenterologist at that point. I hadn't heard from, from their office. It's a big office. I never actually saw him until the endoscopy and the colonoscopy. He was very condescending to me at that time. You know, and my husband was with me. We were both really a little bit shocked by his attitude. So I did not have a good start to this whole you know, um, this whole journey, unfortunately. I think that's a lot said for a lot of us. I know mine was pretty much the same. I mean, he walks in not looking at you. They look at the floor and grabs my hand and says, I'm sorry, you have pancreatic cancer. But as you know, nobody survives because I'd already been through it with my family. So I wasn't really given much hope. Was, do you feel your hope was quashed at that time or were you given any at all? No, no, I I just got angry. I mean, it wasn't even that. He just, you know, he sort of, it, it was like I said, it was very condescending. I said something like, okay, well, he said, well, we'll get in touch with Georgetown and all this. And I'm like, okay, well, who am I seeing? I didn't have a name. I said, you know, I'm, I'm scared. I'm really worried. And he says, don't you do, you don't have to worry about that. You let us do the worrying. And I'm like, what? Yeah. <laughs> like, it was, let you do the worrying? Are you out of your mind? So, yeah, it was one of those things where I, I needed to, I needed guidance and I needed help. Uh, right away. When I had been diagnosed, as I was getting sort of the biopsy, between the time of the endoscopy and the biopsy, I started working with a group called Pinnacle Care. My my company is wonderful. um, And they, they, you know, gave me access to this group. It's a private medical kind of concierge service that kind of steps in for people like me who have been given like these devastating (laughs) diagnoses and tries to really help you manage a medical world in which is completely foreign. So I live right outside of Washington, D.C. in Virginia. Uh, Johns Hopkins in Baltimore is, you know, a little over an hour away, and they were able to help me get an appointment at Johns Hopkins uh, pretty quickly to see one of the uh, medical oncologists there um, who specializes in pancreatic cancer. So once I was able to kind of enlist their help, then I was able to get the ball rolling with, with um, you know, somebody to kind of help me understand what the treatment options were, kind of what they were seeing with my tumor, um, you know, getting a, a CAT scan to understand, you know, better what was going on with me and, and all the things that, that kind of happened after that. How long did it take to get all this started before you you had your first treatment? Well, you know, 
So I was got the, the final diagnosis. Johns Hopkins wanted to have the biopsy where they would see me. So I would say I got the biopsy. It was probably the next week that I went in and I saw a medical oncologist um, there. And, and she was great. I mean, she just set things up. But in, in the process of, of our conversation, I asked her, because this was going to require chemotherapy once every two weeks, and and it's not a great distance to travel but it's still a distance to travel on freeways and so you know i did inquire if there was a johns hopkins affiliate lo located in washington dc or closer by to me and she said yes there was and so she referred me to dr uh Pishvayan at um sibling memorial hospital which is in washington dc which is more like a 40 minute trip for us versus like an hour and a half trip door to door and since it was the standard of care, they were. I was put on a full Furinox uh, regimen. Um, it wasn't like it was going to be any different at Sibley than it would be at um, at Johns Hopkins in Baltimore. So, so she referred me to him, and it was interesting that Friday. I'm trying to remember the date. We're talking mid-May at this point. Um, I was. I went to Johns Hopkins in Baltimore to have a, the port um, inserted surgically inserted and then i drove down to assembly hospital to meet, to, to meet with dr bishvay and that afternoon so i was in you know two states two hospitals to kind of get the ball rolling and then the following wednesday i started chemotherapy yeah i'm glad you were able to find something close by because sometimes the travel time especially when you're not feeling well i mean five minutes can make a difference and it really to have, yes to have to i was so glad because um, i was re the 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 uh, chemotherapy as it does with many people i was very very sick with chemotherapy particularly for the first two months it was very hard for me to get nausea under control and i i couldn't even imagine getting into a car and i was going in between i had to have the um the i had you know the pump you get the pump with for the for the third chemical and you, you have to have the pump removed and then i was getting i was getting a lot of fluids at the time because i wasn't able to um eat or I was hardly drinking for a while because of nausea. Were you able to continue working at this time or did you need to take no. some time off? Yeah, I, I had to take a, a medical leave of absence, unfortunately, yeah. yeah. Did you have any fears in starting treatment or, or or any of the side effects that you might have? You know, you're just you're just so blindsided, really. And what people, you know, when, when you're given a cancer diagnosis and you go into chemotherapy, and in my situation, I wasn't able to get um, surgery uh, right away. Some pancreatic cancers, you know, where depending upon where the tumor is located, you can get your surgery and then, you know, follow on with other treatments afterwards. So they started with chemotherapy. And, but the other side of this is that with pancreatic cancer, you know, this, you're, you're not producing the enzymes that your body needs to digest food. And so all of a sudden you're having to take artificial enzymes to aid in your digestion so you you have it's a double whammy you're learning how to eat food and take this medicine and trying to find the right levels of the medicine um because otherwise you're you know you're gonna have a lot of <laughs> gi issues right or and at the same time dealing with the nausea and everything that comes with um, chemotherapy and you know things just tastes terrible. I mean, you, you, it's like eating cardboard. So it's, I think it's harder for pancreatic cancer patients just because you're also on this Creon or, or whatever that pancreatic um, enzyme is, this drug to help your body, you know, break down food. And, and it, 
it's just sort of, you know, you're just learning your body all over again. Yeah, it is. And what people don't understand is sometimes even doctors can't really tell you how much of it to take because it, it varies. And by the time you get it all down, who feels like eating, right? Because you're so full with you know, all you're taking. That was the thing that was so astounding to me. And, and I, I was like, well, where is the, because I was told, okay, well, if you take too little uh, Creon, you can have, you know, diarrhea and, and very urgent diarrhea. Yeah. And if you take too much, you can have very urgent diarrhea. <laughs> so how do you know what to take? You know, how much is too little and how much is too much? So there's definitely a learning curve. And like you said, when you're going through chemotherapy and you're sick from that, it's like, this is not, this is not the ideal time to be trying to figure out, you know, the, the pancreatic enzymes. Yes. And try to make sure you stay close to home or you, I learned where we took a trip or did anything. I knew where the bathroom stops were going to yeah, be. You so. always do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you carry an extra a pair of clothing just in case and you know you were mentioning about the taste for me everything tasted like metal so I actually my family was really great they actually went out and bought me china cups china spoons um, because of the taste it's funny how that can really vary Um, it can yeah definitely so Mm -hmm. was your um, I'm sure your your family supportive and how did they help you um, during this time yeah you know my husband um, my husband was planning on retiring about this time this year and so he escalated his retirement, you know, by nine or 10 months. So he retired in um, July because I couldn't drive. So he was taking me back and forth to appointments. And then, you know, there's tons and tons and tons of appointments once you start down this road. So he was my chauffeur. He was, uh, you know, just, he was just such a great support system for me. My daughter, um, she's an only child. Um, she lives in Richmond, Virginia, which is about two hours south of us. And um, she was incredibly supportive. She was coming up on weekends to spend time, you know, with me, making sure I was okay. I was trying to make sure she was okay. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, and and um, you know, you know, friends, neighbors, um, my uh, sister. Uh, teaches Bible study. Um, her group of women uh, to about fifty to about fifty women, and I was receiving cards like just several times a week from people I didn't, I'd never met. I did not know. I was on their prayer list. They were wishing me well, making sure that I you know had support. My company as well um, did a lot um, to make sure that. You know, and I was doing recorded video messages for the employees and they would send them out to them. Mm-hmm. And I was receiving lots of well wishes and things. So I felt like I had a lot, a tremendous amount of support and, and uh, you know, a lot of prayer. Yes, our, and I call our support system, our caregivers. I mean, they can, yeah. they care for us in many different ways, whether it's, yes. you know, sending prayers, sending food, grocery yeah. shopping, errands, our family. Yeah. It's just really great. I don't, personally, I couldn't, I don't think I could have survived without my caregivers and all those people that were there yeah. for me. So, That's um, very it's, yeah, very, very important. I'm assuming since your diagnosis, you're living life differently or are you trying to live as normally as possible? <sighs> You know, I'm trying to get back to live living life as normal as possible. You know, at the end of the chemotherapy, you know, I, I was experiencing, well, actually about halfway through, you start experiencing with, well, one of the drugs in neuropathy. So I do live with neuropathy in my hands and my feet. And that makes it difficult oftentimes to grab things. I'm constantly dropping things. And it can be painful. To, like my, my writing was never very legible. So it's <laughs> completely illegible now. 
you know, typing can be very painful uh, with my feet. I'm walking. Um, I can't run. I just wouldn't trust running just because I can't feel my feet. Um, so I am walking um, and, and trying to do that. But so, yeah, you know, <laughs> things have changed, but things are getting back to normal, too. You know, I'm since I'm no longer on chemotherapy, uh, I have my taste buds back. So I'm really doing a lot more cooking. I love to cook. And uh, so I'm enjoying that a whole lot more. It's not very much fun when you can't really taste a lot of stuff where things just don't taste good. Right, right, exactly. What three things would you tell a person who just learned of their cancer diagnosis? Oh, okay, three things. So I would say reach out. Um, I know that uh, PanCan has been wonderful. It's a wonderful resource and they have a patient services area that can can get you up to speed pretty quickly on the disease. There's a lot to know. There's a lot of variables from patient to patient. There's there's a lot of research. Um, So I would say find a reputable source um, like them, please don't Google. Don't do not Google this yes. thing because it's you, you, it's just not a good thing to do. And you know, PanCan will will give you great resources, great information, um, and you know, answer a lot of your questions. The second thing I would say is understand your treatment. And do not be afraid to ask your doctor over and over and over again, why are you doing this? Why are you recommending this? What's the next step? What are the treatment options? Because even in my case, I had radiation. Radiation varies. There are different types of radiation. There's different radiation protocols. um, And that can make all the difference in the world to your you know, to to your outcomes. And I just think you have to believe that you're in that 11%. You have got to have a mindset that says I'm in the 11% and and never, never let go of that. I mean, just don't let anybody tell you that you're not. So those would be the three Mm -hmm. pieces of advice. That that's really awesome. I wish I would have had that advice early on, but and I agree with everything that you said. And I really appreciate you coming and sharing your journey with us. And I really want to have you come back on because I have a ton more questions for you that I would just like to talk about. And it's just time just goes by so quickly. Yeah, so. I, I would love to because I would love to talk about. I'm in a clinical trial, and I would like to talk about the clinical trial and kind of what that means at this point. Um, and some of the decision tree things that I had, that I had to come to and decisions to make. And I think that might be worthwhile for the listeners to hear. I think so, because clinical trials are very important and people don't understand how important. And there's so many myths out there that keep people from doing it. So I would love to have you come back and we'll spend the whole time just talking about that. So thank thank you. And um, thank you again for sharing your journey. I really do appreciate it. I know sometimes it can be difficult, but it was really wonderful to hear your story. And we are dedicating today's episode to, is it Gina? Gina James. Thank you. Thank you. She's my friend who I got introduced to. She lives very close by. She also has pancreatic cancer. Oh, wow. um, and um, our journeys are, are 
tumors are very similar. Our journeys have been a little bit different, but you know, it's, uh, I just wanna continue to give her and other pancreatic cancer survivors um, just, just a world of encouragement. And I think you've done that today. Like I said, you definitely encouraged me, and I really appreciate you being with us. So thank you very much. Oh, Roberta, thank you so much. And you're an encouragement to all of us, too. I greatly appreciate the opportunity. Oh, thank you. Well, there you have it. Another startling example of why you should tune in each and every week to hear the real-life stories of those really affected by this deadly disease and how they deal with it on a daily basis. And if you'd like to share your story, we hope you'll pick up the phone or contact us here at OC Talk Radio. Always looking for more people to tell what they're really going through. I think it helps everyone. We know it does. And if you'd like to help somebody right now, well, there is a number to call, 877 and the number 2, PANCAN. They'll give you more information. They'll set you up with all sorts of support and guide you in the right direction as you answer the questions to launch your own journey or those of someone you love. That's 877, the number two, PANCAN, P-A-N-C-A-N, for the Pancreatic Cancer Action Network. And for the OC Talk Radio Network, this is Paul Roberts again, thanking you for listening, hoping you'll share this with somebody. As we broadcast live from our studios here at the OC Studios, UCI's Beale Applied Innovation Center.